Welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one big idea or big idea recap at a time. My name is Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet for me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Brandon. Good to see you here at the end of all things, or at least all things yes. Johannine for now. It's been a good journey. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, we've gone through a lot of different things. Yeah, I have been absolutely like bowled over by a few of the insights this through through the fourth gospel. It's been a real trip. Like other seasons, I get giddy and tell like one person so that I don't explode. Uh -huh. Some of these episodes, oh my god, including that Paraclete one, uh, with John yeah, twenty one spirit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, like deviation. Oh my god! Yeah, I've been like spraying people with these ideas at uh, every opportunity. I'm pretty sure I've lost friends. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, hopefully, they'll dismiss my deviation. Uh, yeah, let's. This is the end of season four, mm -hmm. and what I was thinking we could do today is look back on where what we've been exploring and try to see how this all clicks together. You know, we began the season uh, with a introduction about these contrasts, contrasting how we grew up understanding John and where our journey yeah. has taken us. And that journey has progressed even just in our conversation mm -hmm. uh, over yeah, the past absolutely. couple of months. Um, it was like, we both had a sense of it after having you translating and me having read your translation. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then actually talking through it, it made so much more like pop into 3d. So I figured let's, let's talk through that and then maybe read through a passage to see how that all plays together. Yeah, that sounds great. So I guess I'll give a, uh, a recital of kind of what the inherited sense of John is. And then I want to mm -hmm. hear like what, hear how that contrasts with where, where you are these days. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I guess I grew up with John being, and including into seminary, John being, uh, it's evangelistic. It's meant like specifically mm -hmm. to help win people over to following Jesus and therefore is more Hellenistic or Greek in its thinking. It's more mystical. Mm -hmm. It's much later and esoteric. It is, I guess, often understood more spiritual, quote unquote, than material, mm -hmm. like the Jesus in the synoptics in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is much earthier and grittier and his preferred name is son of man or son of humanity whereas in mm -hmm. john's gospel it's much more the son of god there's this sort of jesus is particularly exalted and glowy <laughs> in this like almost like you know although Mr. i don't think he glows in this the, one uh, he does in the others yeah yeah, yeah right um <laughs> so like that's that's broadly what it is and so salvation in that old paradigm is almost caricatured in how they uh 
talk about the fourth gospel where salvation is you're being saved from the judgments of God uh, as a sinner so that you can go to heaven Mm -hmm. or maybe be resurrected or something. But that core story uh, of your shitty embodied beings on a trajectory towards disembodied bliss and, and shininess like Jesus it uh and you're being specifically saved from god kicking your ass that's the that's the inherited story what what would you add to that yeah it's a weird inherited story for a a document that starts with the conversation became flesh became a body embodied Mm -hmm. it's like the, the point is that all these ideas and the spiritual realities are being realized here and now in this physical embodied life together yes yes. that's the point not the other way around Mm -hmm. not that we leave this embodied life together and go to a, a spiritual reality no not at all but uh but the language is so weird in the way that it's normally translated that I can see how they get there, right? You know, it's it's from the conventional translations, so it's easy to get there. Yeah, like it's a in uh, a it's a interpretive bias mm-hmm. that is really like finds very natural and even sometimes like almost elevated prose, like the elevated prose of this gospel. Like mm-hmm. it sounds so there's such a syrupy pleasantness to some of it that um yeah it uh it reinforces that paradigm like that feedback loop is core mm-hmm. of what we're trying to break apart here is the feedback loop yeah. of oppressive or um problematic or harmful theology mm-hmm. reinforcing in the text so it's hard to have to always be explaining our way around the conventional translations it's like well let's just have a translation that right right doesn't favor that bullshit yeah yeah it's caught my attention that you called it elevated language what's interesting is of the entire greek testament it's the simplest grammatically and vocabulary wise it's the simplest greek of the whole thing um it's like the the lowest reading level it's like the fifth grade reading level and everything and, you know going to paul and and hebrews and it's like college level reading level right but this is like fifth grade reading level but it's also the most like contemplative and mystical where it's intentionally trying to blur the lines between spiritual reality and physical reality and that gets confusing if you're coming from a western analytical point of view that doesn't do well with that kind of talk and thinking mm-hmm. um, you have to we, we need a little help usually yeah the hebrew imagination doesn't see uh spirit and flesh material and immaterial as intention in any way um, no. in the same way that um this side it's of the enlightenment western cultures see it um, Gnostic spirituality, which was coterminous and um, a bit more subsequent to the writing of this text, that's all yeah, didn't like, really take off until 
few decades later. But yeah, yeah, but it, that that's all. But the seeds were there. There's historical precedent all over the place, but to a Hebrew imagination and written by Eliezer, by Lazarus, um, or even by John, they're both like Hebrews, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. They're both like sons of Abraham who are not disposed to think of like material and immaterial as in any sense of tension. No. Like as soon as you talk about one, you're talking about the other. That's the way, particularly here in um, an outcropping of Judaism with this incarnational Christology, right? It's like Mm -hmm. that word becoming flesh is to like, really like, let's make that the center point. Let's lean hard into that sense in which the conversation becomes material. The say, the what's glowing up there is what's glowing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. For more, read the Universal Christ by Father Richard Rohr. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so where, how do you, how do you see it now? Yeah, I mean, I think we've already hinted at that as the the embodied. Yeah. Nowness of the spiritual realities. Um, there's definitely thinking in terms of what is what did Christ accomplish isn't about making it so I go to heaven when I die instead of hell when I die, but it's about may your reign come on earth as it is in heaven. It's this. How is it transforming this reality? Mm-hmm. Uh, enacting liberation for the oppressed, for the suffering, and uh, yeah, bring really bringing the age, age-long life into this experience of life, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and figuring out how to do that like how like jesus was doing that how do we participate in that like that's that's what it's all about yeah and this is this is not this is not a retcon of the bible this is not um taking liberationist um anti-colonial post-colonial theology it's not taking anarchist theology and and saying um, we're going to squeeze the texts through those prior commitments we have. It's saying, in some sense, we're sold on a lot of those things spiritually and through our own personal like journeys, our own sacred journeys. But to discover, like, actually, that makes better sense of the text. It's mm-hmm. not just like we're we're not cherry picking to justify a post-colonial liberative or healing interpretation of scripture. Yeah. Trying not to anyway. Trying not to. Um, We certainly do at points. We don't know where they are and we're trying to get better. (laughs) Right. Right. But your, this work has been one of like going through John and seeing, Oh yeah. In order to follow the, um, the conventional spiritualizing interpretation, disembodying, disincarnational mm-hmm. way of understanding jump through a lot of hoops to get there and bend a lot of notes and cherry pick and retcon they are retconning the shit out of um scripture 
<laughs> and you actually find much better flow of argument and yeah. soul. Yeah, consistently, whether in, in this book or others, what I've been finding is that when I just take the simplest view of what it could be saying, it keeps leading me back to this sense of embodied liberation. Yeah. Um, and it fits together without complication most of the time. But if I but if I try to like think through, okay, what is all the systematic theology that I was taught to get through all these other things that I came from? There are so many times where I have to just like, this doesn't fit, make sense together, but I have to like take it on faith or it only works if every single piece is in place. And then you have this tight, like circular system that reinforces itself, but it doesn't just flow out of the text. Yeah. And you have to do a lot of uh, mental gymnastics to get there. Man. Um, it doesn't feel like that, I think, for most of us, because we're just so used to that other way of thinking. We just assume that that's right. So then trying to shift into the, what I'm seeing now feels a little bit more like the gymnastics, just because that's not where my mind goes automatically, right? Right. Uh, but if we can set that aside for a moment and just like start fresh, I think it does fit together really neatly and much more simply. Absolutely. Yeah. Once you trust that you're, that it's, oh, that I guess once you can no longer deny that there are some loose strands, some phrase at the edge of um, the map and the story we've been given, um, you can't really go back. Um, I think of yeah. the, in episode nine, um, the spirit, what's it called? What do they call it? The spirit scapegoating pronouns and how to forgive sins um from about 20 minute 26 onward we talk about this john 21 thing where like mm. jesus says we can forgive sins which does not fit in the conventional paradigm of sins are breaking god's rules therefore meriting god's wrath and your condemnation and um Jesus died to take on that violence so that he can save your goddamned ass. Like that mm -hmm. does not work with that passage or tons of other ones, not least the basic character of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Right. Just let's start there. But it also doesn't line up with the rest of the Bible. Um, but that was a great example. Please listen to that uh, episode or the back half of it um, to see where this sense of like in a more elegant integration emerges. Or yeah. we can find one passage <laughs> in the fourth gospel where a whole crap load of these things all come together. So mm -hmm. should we do that now? Should we go to John sure. 3? Let's do it, which we've done once before already or a couple of times before. Mm -hmm. But there's a reason for that. It never gets old. Okay, so should we do this? Uh, why don't you read until yeah. you feel like riffing and then we'll keep going <laughs> sure yeah i think some of this first little section here is kind of the the setup so it'll probably read a good chunk of it and then slow down when we get to more of the meat that we're looking at mm -hmm. all right so starting from the beginning of the chapter there was a man one of the pharisees named nicodemus who was a leader among the judeans 
he came to Jesus in the night. Just want to point out leader among the Judeans instead of Jews there. That's, we've, that's something we've talked about. Rabbi, he said, we understand that you have come as a teacher from God. No one is able to produce the signs that you do unless God is with them. Truly, truly, I'm telling you, Jesus answered, unless someone is brought into being from above, they are not able to understand God's reign. How can a person be brought into being when they're old? Nicodemus said. Can they go into their mother's womb and come into being a second time? Truly, truly, I'm telling you, Jesus answered. Unless someone is brought into being from water and from the life breath, they aren't able to start participating in God's reign. Whatever has been brought into being from the body is a body, and whatever has been brought into being from the life breath is a life breath. So, brought into being from both, you're both, right? Yeah. Don't be shocked that I told you it's necessary for you to be brought into being from above. The wind, panuma, spirit, life breath, blows where it wants, and you hear its sound. But you don't see where it comes from or where it's going. That's how it is with everyone who is brought into being by the life breath. Any thoughts so far? We've hit several of our themes already. No, none yet. This is nice. Okay. Okay. Still good. Uh, good setup here. How can these things happen? Nicodemus asked him. You are a teacher of Israel, but you don't understand these things, Jesus responded. He, so Jesus assumes that a Jewish teacher should understand these things. These are not non-Jewish thoughts. Truly, truly, I'm telling you that we're talking about what we have come to understand, and we report what we've seen, but you don't accept what we report. If you don't trust what I've told you about things happening on the land, how will you trust if I tell you about heavenly things? Now we're going to get into the real meat of it here. No one has ascended to the heavens except the one who descended from the heavens, the son of humanity. Just like Moses raised up the snake in the wilderness, it's necessary for the son of humanity to be raised up. We've talked about raising and reawakening and all that, but that's a little different than this one here, right? It is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah we've we, got... were, we were talking earlier about how raised up when it talks about the son of humanity being raised up is consistently in this book and others referring to being crucified, not like promoted. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not about yeah being hyped. <laughs> and then the twist is that it is about being hyped because the way Jesus is glorified, is renowned, yes, uh, is by accepting that sacrifice of himself for others, giving mm -hmm. himself for us. Uh, and that ends up getting paired consistently, but it's just really counterintuitive to how most people think of like, I'm going to raise myself up, I'm going to brag, I'm going to like make sure that I'm getting the attention i deserve yeah it's it's not about being a blingy influencer for god <laughs> like the <laughs> the the hype of god the renown the glory um is the solidarity of god all the way to hell 
the hell mm-hmm. that we create, the condemnation, mm-hmm. the scapegoating, the violence, um, the grave. Like that is the yeah. renown of God. We can jump up to uh, ju- end of John 12 to see more of that, where there is this, ex- I believe that's where it is, this extended meditation on um yeah the 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 way that raised up is not actually about resurrection or uh the glorification the <laughs> what do you call that the uh ascent of god it's about the downward mobility of god it's about the solidarity of god with creation because the whole goal of this isn't to be saved from God's wrath. It is divine union with all things. Divine union, the mystics were right. Divine union is where it's at. And that includes in the social ecosystem of humanity as well. Like being a social space that reflects the union of God. I mean, that gets into John 17, where we're talking about um, that they may be one as we are one. The conversation takes on not just my flesh, but our flesh. Mm-hmm. That's where this is going. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. This, this is a story of the down arrow, not the up arrow. The only up arrow is the raising up of Christ on the cross. Right. Yeah. Like, as he says, it is necessary for the son of humanity to be lifted up and they're incredulous. Like, mm-hmm. but, but Torah says that the Messiah, the Christ stays present throughout the age. What do you mean? And yeah. Whoever walks in the dark, can't see where they're going while you have the light place your trust in the light. So you become heirs of the light. You're going to yeah. end up becoming the light yourself. Like you don't, you don't need me to be hear it like this forever Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. trying to get trying to figure out how to get this off my there back to where you won't spin there it is okay so it's necessary to be the son of humanity to be raised up so that everyone who trusts him will have age-long life. We keep coming back to that life. This is all about life. This is all about life, mm-hmm. um, which connects with the cleansing that we talked about being that ribbon cutting, but also being like rubbing life all over, <laughs> all over you. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not about there has to be a punishment and then you don't have to die. It's like, no, we're just like taking the life and covering you with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You see, this is how God loved the whole world. He gave the one of the kind son so that everyone who places their trust in him would not be lost to death, but would have age long life. God did not send the son to the whole world in order to put the whole world on trial traditionally judge the world mm-hmm. but so the whole but where am i <laughs> but so the whole world would be liberated through him traditionally saved through him mm-hmm. how does that feel for you to have those to change that way be put on trial and liberated instead of judged and saved yeah 
Yeah. Um, it just shakes loose the cruft of convention um, in a way that like makes it much more elegant to come home to a more liberative and embodied interpretation of this. In other words, it may, it harmonizes it. It makes it easier to harmonize with that opening passage of like the, the conversation took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood, um, mm -hmm. tabernacled among us, like the, that trajectory of like that being the sense of what the story is about when you read it as God came to judge the world, um, and save us, I'm defaulting to hearing it through that old lens, but, mm -hmm. um, a lens that is, di is disincarnational. So, right. um, or incarnation is only a like dip down and like pull us out of the burning building. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's not what's going yeah. on here. It's not a rescue mission. It's a homecoming. Right. Right. And so liberation yeah. is, I mean, rescue, <laughs> Uh, carries that that wider sense of like overcoming the occupying forces. Mm -hmm. uh, that feels way better than yeah. Saved has just become a religious technical word that's co opted by um what is a frankly much more gnostic way of reading the story. In other words, a yeah. disincarnational um, non Hebraic dare I say anti-Hebraic sense of like what the work of God is. Mm -hmm. Anti-Semitic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The Gnostics uh -huh. were totes yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And frankly, a selfish way of reading it. Like it's oh, come I mean, on. the way that when we talk about being saved as individuals, we're talking about it in a way that the culture that this was written in would have been baffled by like probably would have been hard for them to even understand like what we're talking about mm -hmm. um but us as i'm pretty sure american culture is the most individualistic culture that's ever existed in all of history like by a wide margin mm -hmm. what european western culture is not far behind but i think american is the pinnacle of that yeah particularly um, white american white american yes and uh but that's not what this is talking about it's going back to the, the language about age-long life versus loss to death like that's all back to deuteronomy and that what as a community how are we forming life together mm -hmm. is it are we treating each other are we forming a status quo, uh, conventional ways of living together that are about competition, hurting each other, gaining, gaining for my selfish, working toward my selfish gain at the expense of others. That means the other people are also doing that at my expense. Like it just leads to, to more and more death. But if we are saying, yes to the question of am i my brother's keeper am i my family's guardian and protector caregiver then i am working for your benefit 
and you're working for my benefit and everyone has what they need. Everyone receives good things from each other. That's what age long life is all about. It's the Jubilee, the new creation, yeah, all of that. So that's, that's what we start to hear when we shift from the individual salvation to communal liberation. Yes. Yes. Let's keep going. Let's see where this, where this goes. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about the yeah. trial too, the, the Greek. Oh, yeah. Chrysis, what we normally hear as judgment and krino, that we normally translate it as judge. Um, so the, the now in the verb there. Um, yeah. And typically when I hear those words, I think might as well just be saying punishment and punish. Um, that is not what this word, these words mean. It, it can like kind of it lead there, potentially the word can, but it's really a decision that's being made often by a judge. It doesn't have to even be in a courtroom setting though, but it often is, um, but it's really a decision. And the decision can be to declare the verdict as being not guilty. It can be like, I'm awarding you your lawsuit because you've been wronged and you get your restitution now. Like it can also be like, yeah, you hurt that person and, and you have to pay the restitution. It can be like, it doesn't, it doesn't have a positive or negative connotation inherently in the word. It has yes. to be figured out in context. Mm -hmm. So it can be the judgment, the decision, it can be the verdict, it can be the sentence, it can be the awarding you your what you've been suing for, like all of these things. Um, and you get into other parts of John that we, you and I looked at a bit and it's like Jesus is saying, the father doesn't judge. He's given judgment to the son, but then in a different part, it says this like here and in other places, it says the, the son doesn't do the judging either. <laughs> Yeah, so right. like the, the core question of like God coming to the point, God's coming, the point of it is to judge the world, put the world on trial. Um, if that's what you're looking for, keep looking. Even if there is some, it, that seems to be adjacent to some some part of divine homecoming union and liberation. But it's in service to all of those things. And and even then, like, yeah, John is John with their memory of Jesus seems to be saying, Lazarus with their memory of Jesus seems to be saying, Okay, the father is not here to judge, like you said. Is it uh, is that also in John 12 or is that nine? Um, it might be nine, I don't remember nine. which we looked at, yeah, five and nine, and yeah, yeah, the father, the father isn't going to judge. That goes, isn't going to put the world on trial, isn't going to assess. Mm -hmm. that, that's the son's job. And here Jesus is saying, that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And then it goes on to say in one of those passages, but there is one who assesses them, judges them, renders the verdict. And it seems to imply that it's their own behavior themselves. Like, which fits really well if we're talking about liberation being about a community. So if yes. I am contributing to this sense of we're a community of people who uses each other and 
chews each other up and spits each other out, that's going to come back to bite me, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's that's the judgment that I, that I have put on myself. Uh, yeah. Yep. So it's not God having to punish. God's whole thing is love, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus' whole thing is love. And yeah, that sometimes that looks like having a firm hand with people who are hurting others. The It talks about, in fact, there is judgment toward the leader of this world system is mm-hmm. one way that puts it. Because um, this world system is the one that hurts people, oppresses people. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, the status but, quo that... Um commands our allegiance and our domination whose image we come to bear like that's a core tension the way of life and the way of death in deuteronomy and into um early christian thought could uh, a parallel to that might be whose image are you going to bear will you Mm -hmm. bear the image of the truly human one of the son of humanity jesus who is a metonym uh for the human life fully participating in the life of God, mm-hmm. right? Um, will you bear the Jesus image or are you going to bear the image of the principalities and powers of capitalism and fear and um, fa- belligerent family loyalty? Are you going to bear the image of patriarchy? Are you going to bear the image of... Um, heterosexism against uh, uh, queer folk, against trans folk? Um, Are you going to bear the image of white supremacism against all others? Um, And on and on it goes. Militarism, a belief in um, punitive and penal and carceral violence somehow making the world better. These are all things that we bear the image of. Those are the, the diffuse leader of the world systems. And that's what's put on trial. Like in um, episode nine, again, with uh, the spirit, we talk about how the spirit comes to um, uh, uh, convict the world, the the power systems, the domination systems of Mm -hmm. deviation, of sin. That is what is being judged. And so insofar as that system is being judged, when we bear that image, that part of us, which is bearing the image of the world systems of domination, that is what the spirit is convicting us of. So mm-hmm. the word, the whole trial conviction paradigm is not for a total human being. Right. It is for the systems yeah. whose image we bear in part. And therefore there's, we have to be it's cleansed. The ribbon cutting of liberation of that from that. Part we are of us. cleansed from that. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is the old yeah. man being left behind in the waters of baptism. Right. And like we pointed out, it's the, the false accuser is the one that tries to say, that's all you are. Yes. And it's false. Right. Yeah. It's the false accuser. It's the spirit of truth that is our advocate, our defender, the one who stands next to us, that is sent by the Father, the one that we are usually taught is the judge who wants to punish everybody. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, the Father is the one that gives us our defender, our defending attorney, our advocate. Yeah. Because yeah. and knows that that's the one that's actually saying what's true about us, not the false accuser that says we're in 
what's really true about us is that we're a piece of shit part of the system that hurts people. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that is the only place I can grab hold of to make sense of Jesus's command to love our enemies. Mm -hmm. Is they are always more. Yeah. They're always more than the worst thing they've done. Right. There's more to them than just the one thing or even the long list of things. They are also beloved. There's also good in them. And the job is to do the ribbon cutting on that part growing and expanding and flourishing that life within them. Yeah. Uh, and not just like, well, destroy the whole person because streams of living water. Worthless. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, <clears throat> yes. <laughs> The one the who places their trust in him is not put on trial. But the one who does not trust has already been tried since they have not placed their trust in the same in, in the name of God's one-of-a-kind son. But this is the verdict, that the light spoke to the whole world, and people loved the darkness more than the light. Reminiscent back to John 1, we're talking about the conversation being made embodied. Mm-hmm. It was because their actions were corrupt. For not everyone who practices rottenness hates the. For everyone who practices rottenness hates the light and does not come near the light, so that their actions won't be exposed. But the one who behaves with integrity comes near the light, so that their actions can be displayed because they have done them with God. Fascinating. Yeah, there's always a, um, it's almost like it's less of this, I mean, there is kind of a rhetorical dichotomy being made here, but by the end there, it's like those who come near the light, like there's, there's also a, instead of off on switch, it's how close are you to the light, to the source, to Mm -hmm. how, how tightly huddled are you to the fire, the sacred fire that. Right. Um, churns longing and desire for shalom in each of us. Mm-hmm. Which even in this story, it's talking to Nicodemus who came to Jesus in the night, sat around the fire with him. He didn't come during the daytime where there's lots of light, right? But he was curious enough about the light to come peek at it. And then it doesn't really talk about him very much later, but it names him as someone who is part of the church, part of the faithful doesn't give any more to his story really yeah but at some point this sunk in for him the light grew and he joined during the day as well yeah yeah but it took a while because he's one of the leaders within the system Mm -hmm. whereas in the next story we've contrasted before the samaritan woman who's been marginalized in like oh my god countless ways she's happy to be public about it, about her connection with him in the daylight as much as possible, letting everybody she knows know about it. Whereas Nicodemus is like, I don't know, I'm going to come talk to you without anyone seeing, right? That's what this is talking about. What a great contrast. Like she's quick to get it. When you have nothing to lose, you have everything to gain. And he is Mm -hmm. enmeshed in a system um, that teases him towards this and complicates his capacity to be fully out of the closet, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
And I wonder now I'm speculating here, but if, uh, if Lazarus is the beloved disciple and if Lazarus seems to be a trained or like a temple person, he was known by the people in the temple. If he was essentially a Sadducee, did he and Nicodemus know each other? Is that how Lazarus got this story? And did Lazarus help him? Did they help one another? Did the one who came out of the tomb help the one this one come out of the closet, out of the darkness? It's very possible. Fun speculation. Yeah. <laughs> of somewhat low consequence. Hmm. Yep. Makes me think of something my friend said once when we were talking about the Magnificat Mary's song in Luke 1, where the, the it talks about God raising the lowly and humbling the powerful. And he pointed out to me that if God has humbled, made low the powerful, then they're part of the lowly that get raised up. But in a different way, they're not like puffing themselves up. They're raised up along with everyone else who is built, being made into this community of liberation. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. Like in the end, love wins. And yeah, you. Our place as oppressed or oppressors, liberated or liberators helps inform our place in that line in some sense right yeah 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 um speaking of songs is there a <laughs> we were talking about yeah the song that's a good that, transition uh, stirring for you yeah yeah let me uh i'm gonna put it up on the screen here um so this is a song by the group gunger who have gone through many iterations being a more evangelical flavored Christian music group for a bit. And then they deconstructed and became a much more liberation and contemplative flavor of Christian music group. And then they disbanded. It's a husband and wife uh, with their last name being Gunger. Um, and uh, it's yeah, Michael and Lisa other names they disbanded did their like solo projects for a while and then just recently they came back together as gunger again um but but and their music spans a whole bunch of different genres it's some of it i really like and some of it i'm just like yeah this isn't for me but this is my favorite song from mm. them it's called right. us for them um and i want to read the lyrics because it feels like it uh, it, it does a really good job of summarizing all the themes that that we've been talking about, and particularly what we talked about today with judgment being not not punishment, but the sense of making things right um, yeah. and doing that in the, the God. This is how God loved the world uh, that He gave the gift of the one-of-a-kind son hmm. to lead to life. So here it is. When the lines are drawn, when you're in or out, when it's us or them and we shame the doubt, it is all a lie. All we ever really need is love. There's no need to shed more blood. Look upon the cross 
look upon the cross. See the face of Christ, see the mercy in his eyes. Every valley shall be lifted high. Now our enemies are blessed, the heavy laden rest. For his judgment is love, his judgment is love. There is no more guilt, there is no more shame. All our darkest sin, all our deepest pain. Blessed are the poor, all the lonely broken, lost and torn. See a kingdom comes to us, a war that's fought with love. Our only war is love. Prepare the way of the Lord, wielding mercy like a sword. Every mountaintop will be made low. Know he holds the earth like dust, and his judgment comes to us, and his judgment is love. His judgment is love. We will not fight their wars. We will not fall in line. Because if it's us or them, it's us for them. It's us for them. We reject the either or. They can't define us anymore. Because if it's us or them, it's us for them. It's us for them. Because if it's us or them, it's us for them. It's us for them. Prepare the way of the Lord, wielding mercy like a sword. Every mountaintop will be made low. No, he holds the earth like dust, and his judgment comes to us. And his judgment is love. May our judgment be love. The word of the gunger. It's a cutter. <laughs> wow. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to put a link to uh, a couple of streaming services so you, we can all hear that song on our own time and without violating copyright <laughs> <laughs> and streaming rights. Um, wow. This is it. This is the end of uh, season four, uh, going through the fourth gospel, the gospel according to Ellie Gazer. Uh, thank you as always. Oh my God. <laughs> it's very faint. Are you, is your, uh, my home phone trying to offer <laughs> things to you, offer music or something yes. to you? Uh, the, uh, the Apple lady in the, um, music box, um, uttereth, um, <laughs> Oh, what a great uh, note to wrap the season up on uh, the uh, disruption of gratuity and grace in this world. Uh, we are going to continue on in season five later on this spring. Uh, I'm excited to get to share more with you in time about that. Uh, but we're going to start uh, scheming good ways to proceed through more of Brandon's translation of the Christian scriptures. <sighs> so thank you for joining us on the, the past couple of months of, of all this. The easiest way to support Founding Translation is to leave us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice or whatever website you're enjoying this on. It makes it easier for more people to find the show. The second best way uh, is to become a sponsor, which you can do for just $5 a month. When you do that, you get comment access on the Translation's Google Doc, as well as the satisfaction that you're supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. 
You can find the link to join the community in the show notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Fenton Translation was produced by Perry FM on unceded Chinook and Kalapuya lands. Bye, Brandon. Bye, Brandon. Bye, everybody. See you this spring.